welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this October 2014 episode is Haunting Ancestral Cemeteries, and we are going to start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad is going to give us the scoop on the Family Search and Genealogy Bank Obituaries Partnership. And then we're going to jump right into our top tip segment with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine, and she's going to give us her cemetery research do's and don'ts. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we will dig into the Billion Graves website with its founder, Hudson Gunn. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Diana Christman-Smith will be here to talk about how to analyze ancestral tombstones. And then we'll wrap everything up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who's going to explain how to do tombstone rubbings. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. We're going to kick off this episode on haunting ancestral cemeteries with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. You know, obituaries are a great place to start, of course, when we're looking for where somebody somebody has been buried. And I know that you just recently blogged about a new project that uh, hopes to make our ancestors' obituaries a little easier to find. Tell us about that. Right. Well, Family Search started this obituary indexing initiative a while ago, and they've recently been joined by Genealogy Bank, the newspaper subscription website. They, Genealogy Bank also has other records, but newspapers are their primary collection. And they have all these obituaries, which are searchable through by keyword through optical character recognition um, software. But Family Search hopes to have its volunteers do more detailed indexing of those records so that they're easier for people to search and find their ancestors' obituaries. So rather than simply doing a, a keyword search that uh, hopefully brings up the OCR keywords that show up in it, they're actually kind of moving that data into the various slots, right? You know, right. name and death and that kind of thing. It's a big undertaking for something that we can already kind of grab the, the general data. Talk a little bit about um, what OCR can and can't do. Well, it um, it's reads sort of um, printed text, and it can produce a database with all those words from those articles, but it doesn't know if a word is a name or if it's, you know, a the or, you know, an adjective <laughs> or, you know, whatever kind of word it is. And what indexers, human indexers can do is use their judgment and they can say um, the name and then that's the deceased person and then say it names the spouse so they can put the you know, the spouse's name and then wife, and they can include a date of death in the index so that um, that information is together in an index and people can search on, um, you know, such and such deceased person, and then they can search with a relationship adding the wife and um, adding the date of death. So it just makes it a much more detailed search that's more likely to pull up the right obituary. Right. Takes all those words and puts them back into context uh, in terms of our searching. So that makes a lot of sense. It kind of takes a, what was a, a good database, 
through OCR and uh, hopefully makes it great by right. making it, you know, really searchable by the fields. Yeah. And I think what'll happen, they didn't give all the details of the partnership, but I think what'll happen is that the index um, that you can search will be free on family search. And then it will link to an actual obituary on genealogy bank, where if you're a subscriber, you'll be able to see it, or you can probably go to a family search center and use their computers to read it for free. Okay, so that makes sense about what the the uh, benefit is to both parties. Yeah, um, Genealogy Bank is driving some traffic, and Family Search is is uh, making all of this available to uh, patrons and people around the world. Can people get involved in helping with the indexing project? They can, and the blog post has a link where people can go. It'll take many many volunteers um, to help make these obituaries more easily searchable. And so there's a link in the blog post where people can go to learn how they can participate in that. Exactly. And the post that she's referring to, it's called Family Search Genealogy Bank, partner to make ancestors obituaries easier to find. And we'll have a link that takes you directly there in the show notes for this episode. Great news. All right. Thanks so much for helping us kick off this episode, Diane. You're welcome. In today's top tips segment, we're going to continue our theme of haunting ancestral cemeteries with Family Tree Magazine publisher, Allison Dolan, who has a few cemetery research do's and don'ts for us. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, a lot of folks listening may not have yet ventured into cemeteries, and um, it's kind of a whole other world of genealogy research. I know you have some some pretty solid ideas. You've had some articles on various subjects around cemetery research in the past. What are some of the ways that we should be thinking about how to prepare and what we should do and what we should not do when we're there? Where would you start? Well, certainly heading out to the cemetery is a little bit different from heading out to the library. So it's really good to be prepared. And the first thing that I recommend for people to do is... Um, It may seem a little counterintuitive, but go online. You can um, see if the cemetery has a website, and a lot of them do, and sometimes you'll find that there are burial records online. I found that with um, one of the cemeteries where my ancestors were buried, and I was able to get my line back three more generations and found a bunch more relatives buried in that cemetery than the one that I thought was there, so that was super helpful. And then another thing, if there isn't burial records um, on the website, you can certainly use it to help plan your visit. So taking note of, you know, when is the office open? So you can go and look for the records in the office if there are additional ones, as well as, you know, when is the cemetery open? What kind of um, rules and regulations do they have in terms of visiting and making sure that you have all that knowledge before you hop in the car and drive out there? Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, it's interesting. Um, I uh, just moved out to Texas, and there's a little cemetery near us, and it happens to have um, <laughs> an old story from the 19th century about a Martian that supposedly crashed in the area and was <laughs> buried in the local cemetery. And they've done television shows on Discovery Channel about it and stuff. But the cemetery itself is very strict about who can just wander in. And um, it would be really sad to spend a couple of hours driving out to that cemetery to think you're going to go see the Martian grave site when um, they actually have real restrictions as to when you can come in and they don't just let people wander around. So, of course, 
I'm pretty sure the whole story was about trying to get the railroad to come into this little town. So they were trying to stir up some uh, controversy even, even back in 19th century. But it's it's a really good point that we can't assume that every cemetery is just open to the public 24-7, or, and particularly in the case of some of these private ones. So that's a great point, doing our homework ahead. And like you say, online is the best place and easiest place to start. So once we've identified, you know, the the hours and uh, the rules about um, public access, once we get there, what should we keep in mind? Do's and don'ts. Well, the first thing I think is you need to take the extra steps to prepare for your trip. So before you ever get in the car, whether it's a local cemetery or one that you're driving a long ways to, um, keep in mind that you're going to be outdoors and prepare accordingly. So, you know, dress for the weather. Um, if it's summertime, if it's going to be hot, sunny weather, make sure you bring lots of sunscreen, you know, light clothing. Again, you know, it's a good idea to have a raincoat and umbrella because you never know when you're going to be caught in the middle of a rainstorm. Um, and of course, you know, colder weather, make sure you dress appropriately for that. Um, a few things that I like to bring along are my camera, either my camera or the phone camera, um, so that I can take pictures and create a record of the stones that I'll be looking at, as well as, and this can't, the importance of this can't be understated, where in the cemetery the stones that you're finding are located. Um, I had an experience going out to a cemetery with my grandmother to find some stones of um, her ancestors. Her grandparents were buried there, and she remembered stones being there the last time she had visited that weren't there anymore. You know, it had been probably 10 to 15 years since she'd been there, Um, and she swears up and down that there (laughs) were other stones (laughs) that aren't there anymore. So, um, you know, having that record is really important. So bring your camera, make sure you bring something to take along um, to take notes with. We have a cemetery transcription form on our website that you can download for free at familytreemagazine.com slash free forms. And make sure you have a pencil. It's a good idea. Sometimes you can bring a mirror that will help reflect the light um, if you're having trouble reading a tombstone. Um, And then Make sure that you have a bottle of water. Bug spray is a good idea because you don't know how thick into the weeds you're going to have to get. And, you know, kind of think of it like if you were going on some kind of a hike or an outdoor excursion. What kind of things would you bring along and bring those with you? Yeah. All great tips. And, you know, when we were talking about going online, uh, you can even Google the name of the cemetery and put in the word map. Somebody may have already posted a map that has many of the tombstones already kind of marked out, or at least a grid pattern um, for how the rows are laid out. I know that was a huge help for me in finding my grandfather's tombstone, because it was such a huge cemetery. Um, it was all, you know, coated with letters and numbers, and, and it really made a difference to have a map going into it. I could have wandered for hours if I didn't have that. Absolutely. Even looking for graves that I know where they're located, sometimes I have trouble. So um, if there isn't a map on the website, be sure to check in the office and often they will have a map for you. Great point. Now, you know, we're, we're heading into territory that we don't necessarily have a lot of familiarity with. Um, you were talking about the weather. I remember going to a cemetery in Pennsylvania and a small tornado came on through and all of a sudden everything changed. And it was important that we kind of had a, 
our bearings as far as the community because this was a place we'd never been and we had to go take refuge in the local McDonald's. Um, <laughs> what are, you know, what are some of the, er- the other things that we can think about in terms of staying safe because we're going into unknown territory? Absolutely. That's the key. I think safety, um, particularly if you're traveling to an area you're not familiar with, um, better safe than sorry. I like to encourage people not to go to cemeteries alone, um, particularly if you don't know the neighborhood, because you don't know what you're going to encounter. And just, it is better safe than sorry. If you have a friend with you, they can help you with the research. Um, even if it's not somebody who's particularly interested in genealogy, I think a lot of people can appreciate the history and the artwork of the stones and uh, Outing to the cemetery is not morbid <laughs> or um, something to be frightened of, certainly. I think it's something that many of our um, friends or relatives would enjoy doing. And so be safe above all and um, bring a helper with you. Yeah. I remember dragging the kids to the cemetery. And it's funny, of course, at the time they were like, we don't care about genealogy, but it was like a game tracking down uh, the various tombstones and, and who could find somebody first. And, and that could be, you know, kind of fun for anybody and particularly bringing another adult with you. You can even have the tracking available on, if you have an iPhone, you can have their tracking turned on so that somebody else at least knows where you are. Uh, if you're wandering around from small rural cemeteries to, to you know, to the next one. Once we get there, how do we, um, you know, is there anything we have to keep in mind in terms of do's and don'ts as far as just, you know, can you, can you walk anywhere you want to walk? How do you deal with the tombstones? That kind of thing. Well, sure. I think the key to remember is respect because you are in people's final resting place. Um, you know, it's wonderful to walk around. Um, it's usually fine to walk among the graves. I mean, certainly relatives who are visiting the burial spot of their loved ones do that. Um, do observe any rules that the cemetery has in terms of what areas you can go to and what ones you should stay out of. Um, but do take care when you're um, around the stones themselves, particularly if you're in an old cemetery where some of those stones may be unstable. You know, don't touch a stone if it's unstable. You don't want to cause any further harm to what is effectively a historical artifact. And also, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you should put shaving cream on the tombstone to make it easier to read. Well, that's really a foreign substance that um, the chemicals in that may actually damage certain kinds of stones. So, you know, my suggestion is if you're wanting to make it more readable, don't, you know, water is fine. It's the same thing that, you know, rain is going to be touching tombstones, so it's not going to do any further damage than that. But, you know, we have so much great technology available that it usually isn't necessary to put anything on a stone. Um, you can do, you know, some water, take a photo, and then manipulate it in Photoshop, use a mirror to adjust the lighting, but don't actually put anything foreign on the stone. Yeah, great point. And at the Family Tree Magazine YouTube channel, you'll find a, a video that I put together for Family Tree Magazine called Grave Transformations, where you can snap those pictures of the gravestones. And then as Allison said, manipulate them in a photo editor program. And I'll show you the step by step on how to do that to bring out uh, the words that aren't so visible by the by the naked eye. It's amazing. Yeah, great tips. Do you have resources for us to turn to if we want to learn more about this? 
Definitely. Well, we've published a number of articles on Cemetery Research and Family Tree Magazine. Certainly over the years, it's been a very popular topic, but one in particular that I wanted to highlight for folks um, is called Tombstone Care and Repair. It's available as a download from shopfamilytree.com, and it goes into more depth about some of those do's and don'ts in terms of handling tombstones, as well as some great ideas about if a stone um, of one of your ancestors is in really bad shape, some steps that you can take to kind of clean it or um, even replace it so that that artifact and that record of your ancestor is there for many, many more years to come. All great ideas and a wonderful way to kick off this episode as we're continuing to talk about haunting ancestral cemeteries. Thanks so much, Allison. We will check in back with you uh, in the publisher's desk at the end of the show. Sounds good. Talk to you later. In this 101 Best Website Tracing Your Roots segment, we're heading to a site that fits right in with our cemetery theme this month, and that's Billion Graves. Here to tell us more about it is the president of Billion Graves, Hudson Gunn. Welcome to the show, Hudson. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Um, You know, this one fits right in with this episode. So I was hoping you could just start us off with an overview. What's the goal of the Billion Graves website? And how does that help the genealogist in their research? Well, the goal of Billion Graves is right in the title. Our goal is to document and preserve the world's headstones. Um, by collecting and digitally preserving the images of a billion plus headstones around the world. And so what we do is with the, the, the deterioration of headstones and how many people are, are now being cremated. And as we look around the world, there's so many different interactions at different cemeteries and so much vital information on these headstones that is just being washed away. And so what our goal is, is to preserve that information as quickly as we possibly can and make that available to genealogists to help them find lost ancestors, maybe um, relatives that they had no idea were uh, related to or spouses or birth dates or, or death dates or other significant information like children are oftentimes on there and other genealogy information that's on the headstones. Yeah, I mean, such important, um, vital information to uh, our building our family tree. Tell us specifically, uh, how are people collecting this information and, and how does that work its way onto the website? How we collect the information is through mobile applications. So through your smartphone or uh, your iPhone, your your Android uh, tablets as well. Um, all it is, it's a, it's a free app that anybody can download on iPhone and Android. And soon we'll be releasing the Windows application. And all you have to do is uh, create a free account and go to local cemetery and start snapping pictures. Now, the application automatically tracks the GPS location of each picture that's taken, and you simply upload those photos, and they're uploaded to our website, where we have thousands of volunteers waiting to transcribe or index, is is what a lot of other individuals might call it, um, index those records so they can be searchable. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so it, it is a very simple way to take thousands of pictures in one visit to the cemetery. 
um, making it very easy to use for uh, beginning genealogists up to advanced genealogists or even genealogists that might not be as tech savvy. We try to make it just as simple as download and and start clicking pictures. Yeah, fantastic. And what what a great way for everybody to have an easy way to kind of give back to the community as well, because we all help each other so much in so many different ways. Um, I'm curious, with the app, do they need to have their location services turned on so that the GPS is activated? Or is that an automatic thing when you're using your mobile device? They do need to have GPS services turned on. Now, they do not have to have um, a their phone, like an internet connection on their phone. They can actually wait to get home to upload the the photos to our website. Um, you can use any device that is capable of being connected to a wireless carrier. It doesn't have to have an active subscription. So if you've got an old iPhone that's not connected to, say, your Verizon account, you can still use that and the GPS inside there will still work to allow you to take pictures. Sounds like my husband's phone. He hasn't upgraded yet. <laughs> so I, I know it does exactly what you're talking about. Now, I noticed that you have announced some new enhancements lately. This is kind of new breaking news. Which ones do you think that genealogists are going to be most excited about? Tell us about that. I personally really love the new virtual, the, the changes that we've made to the virtual walkthrough and the new Map It feature, because it really um, highlights the GPS capabilities that that we capture when we take the pictures. The map it functionality, for instance, allows you to see in just a glimpse all of the the individuals by a certain last name or first name and last name anywhere around the world. So we all have in our family tree those elusive family members that just kind of took off and didn't tell anybody where they're going. And it can be sometimes very difficult to track them down. Well, this feature allows you to see all of the cooks anywhere in the world. Um, and you can do that by first name and last name. And it helps you see those those family members that might have drifted off or moved to other locations. Or you might think that they're in Louisiana and actually they're in Virginia. It gives you a worldwide view of where your family could be and any of the ancestors that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, in addition, the virtual walkthrough is another amazing tool because uh, back to the first comment about um, collaboration, which is I'd love to go visit some of the cemeteries in Asia. They're absolutely beautiful, but unfortunately, I just can't make it out there. So we rely on users who are in those areas to take those photos for us. So the virtual walkthrough literally allows me to sit at my computer and be able to act as if I were walking through any cemetery in the world, looking at the pictures and the graves and the people nearby. Um, actually, this is it's a perfect feature because I have one of my own family members um, who died right after um, giving birth. And the infant was buried next to a grandmother with a different last name. And if, oh. if you were doing genealogy and you were looking for that certain last name, you would have no idea that there was the baby that was buried in the same plot as the grandmother. So the virtual walkthrough allows you to look at family plots, allows you to look at who is buried within proximity and not just by looking by last names and help really solve or break through some of those barriers that are that are often that we often come across in genealogy because we just don't have enough information. So by having that information available and looking at it from 
proximity and that GPS and all around the world, it, it really creates a lot of insight into genealogy and in that vital information that's held on these headstones all across the world. Oh, very cool. Now, I know that BillionGraves.com is, is a free site initially when you go to work with it. Are all of these features free? Do some of them do you have to subscribe to? How, how do they interact with them? So Billion Graves is, will always be free. That has always been our mission um, to search, to use, and contribute. Um, we do have those additional features that we were talking about, like the virtual walkthrough, the map it features, the record notifications, which are another great tool. Um, it allows you to set up a notification that uh, instead of coming back and searching day after day looking for the same person, since we have tens of thousands of records coming in every single day, you, you create a notification of who you're looking for and we'll actually tell you when they make it into our system. So you don't have to spend so much time just searching. We'll do the work for you. So some of those kinds of features that, that we provide um, based on the information that comes in from the pictures are a part of our Billion Graves Plus uh, package, which is a phenomenal collection of features that we'll continue to add to that provide additional insight into the records that you're looking at, um, into really how, does, how are the records that you're looking at related to you? Instead of blindly saying, okay, I'm going to do a Google search and have 5,000 hits show up for the same name and none of them are the person that I'm looking for, what we aim with these products is to, to really relate, Lisa, how, how do these records relate to you and your family tree personally? And that's the, the goal of those features. And that which is a completely optional add-on package to the free Billion Graves website. Well, it's, it sounds ideal because that really is what it's all about. It's that making the connection, making it uh, applicable and personal to each and every one of us who are working on our family history. So awesome. You can get involved with Billion Graves right off the bat by going to BillionGraves.com and start benefiting as well as giving back to the genealogy community. And then, of course, check out these new features uh, with Billion Graves Plus as a way to really beef up your interaction with the site and all the great advantages. Hudson, it's a wonderful site and a perfect fit to this October episode. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. There's more to tombstones than meet the eye, and in this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, we're going to attempt to read between the lines and discover some of those hidden clues in tombstone inscriptions and iconography. Diana Christman Smith is here to share tips from her video. It's available at shopfamilytree.com. It's called Analyzing Ancestral Tombstones. Welcome back to the show, Diana. Nice to be back, Lisa. I always enjoy talking with you. Well, Diana, in this class, you really bring clarity to that wealth of information that can be present on a tombstone. Um, but, you know, sometimes it may not jump out at us at first glance. What's an example of kind of what we're talking about here? Um, one of the things I say is to check the plot for context. Look at the back of every stone. One of the examples I use is one of my ancestors or an ancestral couple is uh, buried in Pike County, Illinois, and I went out to visit the cemetery, and I found the tombstone that had been pictured on a website, and when I walked around the plot, I find that David and Nancy are on the front of the tombstone, but if you walk around, Hamilton and Hannah 
David's brother and Nancy's sister are on the back. The brothers wow. married sisters, and they share a stone. The brothers have each side of the stone. And there's a wealth of information on that stone. Not only does it list the couples, their dates of birth, their dates of death, their places of death if it's not there. And in the case of three of the four, it was not in Pike County, Illinois, where they died. Um, And in the case of both brothers, it lists where they're buried because neither of the brothers is actually buried there. And then it lists infant children on the same stone. So there's so much information on that family right there on the stone. Boy, it sure sounds like it. And what a lesson to learn that uh, it's not just the side facing you, facing the grave, to walk all the way around. And, and I'm sure in also checking out all the stones that surround the stone that you're focused on. Right next to them is Hamilton and David's mother. Ah, so perfect. The, the family's kind of clustered there together. Now, I know sometimes we see comments or quotations that are on stones. And, you know, we usually jot those down, but are those really important to genealogy? They can be. As an example, one of the other stones I found was for the second wife of my great-great-great-grandfather. And we finally found her stone in a cemetery 20 miles away from where he is buried. Um, He died before she did. And on on her stone, it says, Mother, we still love you anyway. And I thought, what an odd inscription. But digging into the court records, we found that it was a contentious probate. His children didn't think she should get anything, even though they had been married for a number of years. They didn't like her. And so the probate went on and on and on. The comment on her tombstone is from her own children. Wow. <laughs> That's... It, that one little comment, you know, leading you to, to other records to check out. And interesting little message there to her beyond as well. Yes. And uh, to his children, in case they ever saw it. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. Well, now there are, you know, the tombstones of our ancestors. Some of them may have been in the military and, um, I know that you mentioned in the video that military markers come in a lot of different types. Why are the ones on stakes by the grave suspect? If you notice one of those um, markers on a stick, notice that they have to mow around it or under it. And what I've found is that sometimes the mowers will pick it up, mow, and then go, oops, where'd I get this? And just stick it back. Um, I found a Revolutionary War marker on one of my ancestors in Rhode Island, which was very interesting until I thought, wait a minute, he died in 1696. There's no way he did military in the Revolutionary (laughs) War. So I went to the library, which was right across the street, and I said, "Um, I'm confused. Do you know how I can check this out? And I told her what the problem was, and she laughed, and she said, unfortunately... When they mowed, they took the stakes out and didn't know where to put them back. So they just stuck them back in the ground. And it was it was a weekend, and we didn't realize it. And now it's it happened to be Memorial Day when we were there. And so we didn't have a chance to fix them before today. So unfortunately, they will be fixed later. But I don't know who that one belongs to. 
Oh, my word. Yeah, I mean, just human error, right? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good for you for, um, you know, analyzing and questioning it. You know, sometimes it's it's easy just to go, well, that's what it is. But you know, there's when there's no logic there, you know, there's a problem. Now, I was just up in uh, Scotland. And oh, my gosh, some of the old cemeteries and, and gravestones are just amazing. And some of them have fairly elaborate artwork on them. Tell us a little bit because that's really interesting. Uh, people think of that as kind of pretty decorations, but it's more than that, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. For example, if you see a, a sheep or a lamb on a stone, it was probably a child who died unexpectedly or tragically. And so, you know, those mean something. There are sites that you can go to to find out about some of that symbology, but just a few things. A lamb is used to indicate a child. A lion might be to um, protect someone or to indicate bravery or courage. A dove is seen in both Christian and Jewish cemeteries. So it, it usually means resurrection, innocence, or peace. Um, a cabin might be used to indicate humble beginnings. A broken column usually indicates a life cut short. A full tree might indicate richness of life. And callow lilies are often used to represent marriage. So those things you want to look for. Um, there are websites and books out there that do list some of the cemetery symbols. There's um, a place called graveaddiction.com. And you can go there and, and look for symbols. And she does a long list of cemetery symbols and explanations. Her name is Beth Santori. And I found that very helpful. Also, um, Sharon DeBartolo Carmack's book, Your Guide to Cemetery Research, has information on a lot of cemetery symbology. And the military has a list of military symbols and abbreviations used on stones. So you can find that at the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. So there are lots of things that you can do, or you can just go in and Google cemetery icons and see what comes up. But I find it fun and fascinating. And I try to always look at what kind of symbols were used on the stone. So interesting. Each has a story to tell. And you mentioned Google search. You know, you can run that search, and then typically we're in web search mode, but we could click the images link and wow, you get a vast array of examples of this. Yeah, wonderful, quick way to check that out. Wow, so much to learn from just what appears to be a simple stone in a graveyard. Thank you so much. We're going to have links to the websites that Diana mentioned and the books uh, in the show notes. And always great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Always my pleasure. Thank you. As we wrap up this October 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, it's been all about cemeteries. Let's check back in with Allison Dolan at the publisher's desk. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Glad to be back. Yeah. You know, in our top tips segment, of course, we talked all about the do's and don'ts in cemeteries. Uh, and there are some guidelines specifically for working with tombstones. Now, I know that lots of people like to do tombstone rubbings, although I confess I've never done one. So, For those of us who haven't gotten around to doing one, and for the new genealogists out there, 
tell us what this is all about and maybe give us some guidelines on the best way to go about it. Absolutely. You know, really, tombstone rubbings, there's a lot of reasons to do them. Um, one, I think, is it's a great activity for kids to get them interested in genealogy, you know, going to a cemetery. It's kind of like when you rub a crayon over a penny on a piece of paper and you can see it, you know, particularly small children, I think, find that kind of interesting. Further to that, sometimes I find that when I do a tombstone rubbing, I get some detail in the stone that I couldn't necessarily see with the naked eye because you get that gradation of the darks and the lights and the contrast um, better when you're doing a rubbing than you might be able to see in normal daylight. So that can be helpful. And then it's also a way to create a record. Um, Some people might want to display it in their home or even, you know, just something that you can keep with your genealogy stuff so that you, again, have sort of that record of, the actual stone gives you a sense of size and scale and what was on the stone at the time that you visited. Right. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this because um, it, it all depends about the materials that you're using. Tell us specifically, a rubbing is laying something over the, the tombstone and uh, using something to bring out the words onto that material. So what kind of material are we talking about? Okay, well... I think that you can do a couple of different things. You can certainly use paper. Butcher paper works really well because a lot of stones are pretty big. However, my favorite is to use interfacing fabric. It's kind of a plain white fabric that you can get at any store that sells fabric. And it's kind of got a consistency that is not like a sheet, but it's kind of in between a fabric and it's got a little more sturdiness to it than, you know, just a typical cotton fabric. So um, that I find works really well. You can buy that in, you know, whatever length that you need, depending on how many rubbings that you want to do. And um, you're going to use some kind of wax. There are tombstone rubbing wax cakes. They kind of look like a hockey puck. Um, You can find those online to buy. I find, too, that just plain old jumbo crayons like you get for kindergarten, um, if you take the peel off the paper from the crayons, those, you can lay it flat on its side and you can use that to rub and that works pretty well, too. Now, do we have to be concerned with, um, do you have to ask permission ahead of time to do this in a cemetery? That is a great question. Um, certainly you should ask permission or check the rules before you go and attempt this. And even if it is allowed, I would also caution, don't attempt a tombstone rubbing on a stone that is in any way unstable because you don't want to create any damage to a historical artifact. What if you did a tombstone rubbing and you knocked the stone over? That would be really bad, obviously. So, um, you know, use your common sense and take care to not work with a stone that may um, be damaged if you're going to do the rubbing. Right. We can rub on it without necessarily leaning on it. (laughs) So uh, that makes sense. Now, so we're laying this interfacing and interfacing is a great choice because it's really cheap compared Mm -hmm. to even just regular fabric. And then we have our wax. So um, do you have to press very hard? Does it depend on the stone? Um, How would you go about doing that? Yeah, it kind of depends on the stone. And this is another activity where it's really hard to do on your own. <laughs> it helps <laughs> if you have that helper with you. Um, so somebody can hold the fabric taut and then somebody else can do the actual crayoning or 
waxing on the stone to get the rubbing done. Um, it is something I've attempted to do on my own and have not been very successful. Having that extra set of hands or even two extra sets of hands can be super helpful. It, it, you can use tape, um, like masking tape, not scotch tape, because that might not come off, um, to kind of help hold it in place. But even that, I find, uh, sometimes isn't enough to really hold it steady. Hands work the best. Yeah, probably better to have somebody hold it up there than to be putting any kind of tape on where then when you pull yes. it off, just a little bit of the crumbly mm-hmm. stone comes off with it. We don't want to do that. What do you do with your rubbing? Do you, you bring those home? How, how do people use them? Do they frame them? Well, you know, what do you what do you do? Well, I've seen people frame them. Um, you know, sometimes it's fun for kids in particular. That's like a piece of artwork that they created. You can hang it on your refrigerator. Um, or it might be something that you just decide to keep in your genealogy files. Um, one thing that I recommend, if you do use the interfacing fabric, find an old towel or an old sheet. And if you um, put that... On an iron, put the interfacing fabric uh, on an ironing board. Put a layer of your cloth or towel underneath it, and then another layer over top of it. It's got to be something that you don't care about it, because then you're going to iron it um, and set that wax in the fabric. It actually helps bring out a little bit of the detail and makes the tombstone rubbing look nicer. Right. So it almost like makes it more permanent. It's yes. going to meld it in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. Great tips. Okay. So there you have it. You can do tombstone rubbings. And we've got some uh, specific suggestions on how to go about it. Of course, check with the folks who run the cemetery. But what a great project to be able to particularly pull the kids into or any other family members who maybe aren't into doing the research, but wouldn't mind a little adventure out to the cemetery. It's been a fun adventure visiting cemeteries in this episode. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this October 2014 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the article Tombstone Care and Repair, which is available at Shop Family Tree. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to the paper or the digital version of the magazine at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast, and you'll find the show notes for this episode. And those include all the information and the website links for everything that we talked about on today's episode, including the Analyzing Ancestral Tombstones video class with Diana Christmas Smith, and of course, the Billion Graves website. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available free through iTunes. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Bye.